Hi, this is Lara Taubman for what I cannot believe is the 23rd episode of Graveyard Sessions. Thank you for listening as always. And if it's your first time listening, thank you for giving it a try. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy, enjoy having these conversations. Um, this episode is with Brooklyn Bates. Brooklyn-based performing singer-songwriter Rod Alonzo. Rod is a friend who I met through Wolf Island Records' producer, Hugh Christopher Brown. Rod uh, has done a bunch of recording with Chris and um, has created uh, a lot of cool stuff. And Rod is a great singer-songwriter, just magnificent. In fact, I... I've just been getting this, preparing this podcast, and I can't get that song he wrote. Uh, he just played at the end of of this podcast called Little Brother Out of My Head. So good. He is really exceptional. He also gives an unexpected song surprise in the middle of the interview. Um, I uh, need to apologize uh, for... Uh, not showing up the last couple of weeks and also apologize to Rod for not showing, posting this interview when I thought I would. Uh, it has been a kind of a tough August for everyone in the world, it seems. And um, certainly in world events, we know what happened and it has been difficult. And I think it's been difficult in many people's private lives as well, including my own. And um, But I'm back and it's September. And the vibe of September is to start doing things again. And I definitely feel that. And I'm really glad to be back here um, and play this interview for you and get the technology ironed back out and get you a recording that doesn't have a radio signal background in the background. <laughs> that was that was the last 20 minutes. So um, I uh, look forward to your hearing this. And uh, here it comes. Thanks. Rollin. Um, hi, Rod. So nice to have you here. <laughs> Why, thank you, Lara. It's nice to be here. <laughs> that feels so stupid and funny. But necessary, nonetheless. But necessary, we have to say hi, <laughs> because I will be introducing you in in a spoken thing before this official thing, you know? And the audience needs to know that we're actually meeting Here, each other. So I can say hi, Rod. Right. Um, so, Rod, I love this interview even before we've we've recorded, because while I know about you, I know stuff about you, I don't know you that well. Like... I haven't known you for long. You and I met through Chris Brown, mm -hmm. who, is, speaking of ad nauseum, one of my favorite terms. I, <laughs> I speak of him ad nauseum in yes. these, in these, uh, in in these podcasts, um, and uh, we know each other through him. Yes, and uh, you are also a musician, singer, song performing singer songwriter on yes. his roster. Yes, and. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I've only listened to your album. He's played for me a couple of times. Um, I've only listened to it, like your music, a couple of times, mm. and he's and I've been like very interested and very intrigued to hear more. 
So I can't say, you know, I can't even feel like badly like I haven't done my homework. <laughs> I'm just have an idea, but also, you know, I, I, I do these podcasts when I get a hit to do one on someone like some yeah. people and, and what inspires these are, are just my casual conversations. And then I'm like, you know, these are conversations that there's a conversation that should be recorded. There's a really good conversation and I can feel that there's a lot more to the, you know, uh-huh. that it's a conversation that'll go on and on. So, um, uh, I definitely felt with you. I, I think I really got that, that hit to do that when we were, um, uh, messaging last year around out al- my album time, we started talking about my album and, and just music in general, or I forget when exactly what the detail of it was, but you were telling, you kept telling me these stories. I'm like, God, <laughs> these are great. Like, like you're, you know, but I find that, uh, singer songwriters or songwriters or performing singer songwriters or whatever are all tell great stories Mm. and stories are what, what drive this, uh, podcast, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's what builds great conversations are the stories that you tell. Um, but, and so I was like, well, he should definitely be on the podcast and though he, you know, but I don't care. Like, like to me, you're engaged in a crew and you are engaged in a creative process. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, like that's who's on this show or in any kind of, you could be in finance and, (laughs) you know, but you could be in a creative process in finance, you know? Um, I would love whoever's out there who wants to be on because I would love to interview that person. That would be interesting yeah. to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just felt very strongly that you were such a, a storyteller and I, so I wanted to have you on here. I just didn't know what the focus should be, which <laughs> I like that too. I, I get a little nervous sometimes cause I usually can think of, the day before, like even just now, like turning on everything, I was like, fuck, I don't even know what I'm <laughs> talking to him about. I'm like, you know, if you're sitting down to have a drink with him, you don't know what you're going to talk to him about either. But, but, uh, you know, you're, you're gonna, there's gotta be something. There's always something. <laughs> and, um, you know, you know, I, I mean, we've all sat in front of people. We didn't have anything to talk to about them. And, that's scary. Yeah. Or not. Maybe you just, just, just sit there like I can out right. silence you. Sometimes you don't know what it's, how it's going to turn out. Right. Exactly. You don't know where the road will lead. And so ex- this one makes me kind of, <laughs> I was like, who fucking cares? Like, let's just, <laughs> we don't know. There's a reason we're here. And uh, I'd like to explore it. I could have waited till you put your album out, mm-hmm. but I don't. I'm not really in the mood to wait. Like, <laughs> we'll do another one then if, if the mood strikes us. But for now, I'm sort of interested in where you're at now. So I just let our. So I don't like. I I I know your details. I know you know where you're from. What yeah. you Do but you're from Saginaw, Michigan. No, just kidding. <laughs> We were just talking about the Saginaw, Michigan song, which is written, I think, by Tom T. Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you are from Michigan, which made me think of the song. Yes. St. Joseph, Michigan. St. Joseph. And, uh, um, and, uh, and then you made a winding 
sort of you came here to New York City via Massachusetts. Yeah. And uh, and then and so so what who made the, the songwriter that you are today? Give us a little bit uh, of that roadmap. Okay. Well, to to put it in in official songwriting terms, I would say it all started in the family basement. Uh, it was a com- combination of the family basement and the fact that I was forced to take guitar lessons as a child. What, how old were you when you had to take your first one? Six. And did you have to? Did you? Want, I had. To. Did you? You didn't want to, or did, did you not want to? want to? Why not? Uh, I don't. I I didn't mind having a guitar. Um. And. Interestingly, um, they gave me a guitar. They gave me a nylon string guitar. And there was one day when I left it, I just put it on the wall and went to do something, but it fell and the neck broke. And Mm. to think of a guitar being broken, Pete Townsend aside, you know, (laughs) uh, it's, it's, it's a very violent thing you know it's it's like something that was beautiful yeah could not yeah do that anymore yeah so there's a certain amount of um i mean i I'm, I'm sure you're similar but with your own guitars or anything like that it's just you you, you just are very aware of how it is and yeah and that whole thing about don't let it don't ever touch anybody else's instrument unless they ask you to like yeah. that's something that has just always been with me it's, yeah so wait, so where, tell me about this broken guitar that broke, and so how did that made that made you not want to play guitar? No, it just made me. I mean, I don't want to overanalyze it too much, but I think I was just I do. nice. <laughs> I was this carefree little kid. So my name, just so you know, my name is Rodrigo. Alonso. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Rodrigo Joaquin Alonso. Okay. So I'm named after Joaquin Rodrigo, who was the composer of the Concierto de Aranjuez, which um, I don't know. Do you know that piece? No. It's a s- classical piece, but Miles Davis um, used it as sort of a temp. Uh, he he performed some sections of it on Sketches of Spain. Okay, wow. Um, you would recognize some of the yeah. some of it if you heard it. But anyway, I was named after this composer. Yeah. My father does not play an instrument, but he's obsessed with classical guitar and flamenco. And he's from Mexico. He is from Mexico. Um he, he was raised in Mexico City. Uh-huh. Wow. Um yeah. if you saw the movie Roma, I think that's kind of the world that he grew up in, that kind of Mexican uh, that was the neighborhood that he lived in. Yeah. Anyway, he he was immersed in classical Spanish classical music, and so one of my earliest memories growing up is, you know, my father would be cooking. We, this at this point we were living in Wisconsin, so I can just see like the snow falling down in the background. There's a fire in the fireplace and the smell of garlic and, and cooking. And I'm hearing like Segovia, the lights are very, it's mm. very, you know, candlelit because it's winter and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So 
all those pieces, um, and and it's like Segovia and Christopher Parkening and John Williams, mm -hmm. the guitarist, like that that was sort of I was steeped in all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, my father said, "Rodrigo, you are going to learn how to play the guitar." Mm -hmm. And so I was sent to. My mother would take me to. Uh, there's there was this uh, music store uh, in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, called Goodell Music. And uh, my teacher's name was Dave Sullivan. And we were sitting in this like linoleum wall or uh, what do you call it? Um, like fake wood paneling. Yeah. Little yeah. rug, the, the stainless steel uh, music stand. And I remember just being forced. And, and <clears throat> I, I remember it hurting my fingers and learning, you know, to learn that finger style, like the thumb in, you know, I, IMP and all that stuff. Yeah. I didn't, I, I had no connection to that. Yeah. But like I said, I was forced to do it. And interestingly, I never really, I did not learn how to read music. I learned how to interpret what I saw and do what I think it was. And I kind of heard it in my head, what I thought it was. And I think I was sort of playing it by memory. But a lot of my friends who who went to Berkeley or, or that kind of thing, they can just look at a piece of music and be like, oh, yeah. Right. You know, yeah. it's like they're, they're so proficient at it. And yeah. I never had that proficiency. Yeah. yeah. And so this, this teacher never taught you how to read. I think he tried. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, it, it came to me later. Uh -huh. Like, I think... Can you read music now? I can now. On guitar, yeah. Yeah. What, the, the, the trick for me was understanding the way time works. Mm -hmm. the, the, that it's a constant time. I don't think I understood that. They would always put the metronome on. No, it's simple. Like this. Right. And I was like, I don't know what that means. You know, that, that, the, that the sound was relative to the beat. Yeah, 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 know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so, how long did those did did you like the lessons? Did you? No, I hated didn't. It. I just felt inadequate. I huh. just felt like I wasn't good at it. Right. And later, I was eventually. This is a little further down the line. Well, okay. So I'm I'm digressing. I don't know. You can you can edit all this so it's. I don't edit much. seamless. Okay. I'll edit if you like hawk a loogie, maybe. Okay. But only maybe. Well, I won't do that. <laughs> but I, I should say the other component while while all this was happening, I mentioned the basement. So in the basement, um, my mother and father had this record collection, and there was a record player, and I just had this very I don't know what the right word is, um, symbiotic connection to these records. Yeah. It was just pictured just like a gigantic record collection. And it's sort of like what you were just saying about this conversation is like, you just look through it and you're like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. I'll look at this cover. I'll um, put this on, you know, yeah. and it was, a, it was this sense of discovery and it was this very organic um bonding like for example my mother loved elvis so there were some elvis records there and i would put those on and it would just be like oh so it was it was almost like a just like being in a a monastery or a temple and and you're just i would and you know it's so ritualistic when you you take those records out and you mm -hmm. learn how to put it on the record player mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. click the 
Autumn. the mystery of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, like for me, I I remember um, those those vinyl album covers from the seventies. Uh, it literally transfixed me mm-hmm. as a child. It's reminding me what you're saying is reminding me of that. Like I, I would sit with the one, the albums I got, even my very first Disney albums, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 101 Dalmatians and Cruella uh, uh, de <laughs> Yeah, no, for me it was uh, Cinderella. Okay, and uh, I still remember songs from that <laughs> and. Um, uh, there was some other ones. Bippity boppity boo. No. Yeah, that yes, <laughs> I do. Uh, do you see see me twitch a little bit uh, when I? Yeah. Uh, the I can't believe you remember that the one with Mary, Mary Poppins. Uh-huh. Remember that yes. one? Um, I played those things. The grooves were worn and scr- yeah. very scratched up. It was terrible to my albums. But then, um, you know, and then m- my brother was is four years older than me. So, you know, he was starting to get into all the classic rock, mm. and get the albums. And I'd, I'd go sit in his room and I would, uh, I just remember looking at all the covers and the ones I love. Like, I remember the album cover that I was just completely blown away by was Captain Fantastic. Yes. Remember That's that where one? he's he's got the top hat on. Yeah, it's and like an amusement park or something. Shit around him. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know what what it was. Yeah, I just remember staring at it. Yeah, and and that there were these interesting bright colors because it was the bright colors that would always blow me away. So, for example, the album cover uh, that was most memorable to me, uh, one of them is uh, Yellow Submarine. Yep. Because just those pops of color, yeah. I just I couldn't forget. Yeah. And then. Um, I remember he had um, what is that Stones album that had? I remember uh, the, what is that Stones album that has the mix profile with the light coming in from behind? Hot me? Rocks. The Hot Rocks. Yeah, I remember that Greatest one. Hits. I remember an Almond Brothers album with their name on the front. Mm-hmm. That one. Um, oh yeah. Self-titled one. Yep. Then um, I just I re- I'm and I remember uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Nebraska? No. Uh, Darkness was, on the Edge of Town? You know, the one that's white background. Oh, um, the, Born to Run. Yes, that one. <laughs> that, thank you. Um, <laughs> I remember that one really well. Yeah. And uh, I just, rem- I mean, those were uh, I, 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 icons, icons <laughs> of my visual icons yeah. of my childhood, whether I really knew what they were or understood it or not, you know? Well, so I think, you know, to your point, first of all, LPs were big. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that that's something that changed when CDs came out. They became, the pictures right. became smaller and the format was different. But with an LP, it's a big picture and there's, you know, like the lyrics are sometimes printed on the inner sleeve right. or it opens right. up and there are all these weird... Like it was very conscious, like yeah. that they were designed in a particular yeah. way that meant was meant to fit that canvas, right? Um, and that was very much a portal for me, um, right? Yeah. Um, back to the you know, like you asked about the foundations. I mean, so your albums were Disney albums. Mine, a big one for me was "Free to Be You and Me," <laughs> and I, that's the one that I like 
So by osmosis, you know, you asked me about songwriting. Those songs are just in my blood, Uh like the arrangements, the Uh voices. And I just like lost myself in that album, like the, the, the booklet, like everything, probably the same experience you were having with Disney. Totally. And 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 other things. (laughs) Even when the, when the rock albums came with books. Right. Or, you know, they were the, the, the gatefold and, and then the lyrics, that was yes. when they were very special. Yes. When you could get those. Because you couldn't look them up on your damn phone. Right. If you, they weren't printed, you just had to guess. <laughs> you know, like um, I, one of my favorite miss, miss hears, not that I <laughs> did, you know, oh, I did plenty. But the, my favorite one was a friend of mine. I, I, I went to boarding school and a friend of mine at boarding school, I'll never forget it. Like she'll be in my memory forever for. <laughs> Many things, but this was one of the most highlighted things is um, she had a friend or she she maybe was too embarrassed to admit it was herself. But, you know, the song by the Stones again, um, uh, Beast of Burden. Yep. So she uh, uh, she had a friend or again, she wouldn't admit it that it was her uh, (laughs) that uh, uh Thought that it forever for the longest time that was it was I'll never leave your pizza burning. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know that that's, one. That's that's pretty good. That's good. Mick likes Italian food. I'll I think. never leave your pizza burning. I mean that's just <laughs> well. So that's an okay. So you just reminded me of another really important thing, and I don't know if this is something that I'm 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 guessing based on those playlists that you made that you had this a similar experience but the playlist from my from my spotify playlist yes yes just so the listeners know yes listeners. <laughs> um so i was growing up in southwestern michigan in 1974 and my mom was a young mom uh my dad was out of town a lot and uh we would she would take me shopping but i hated shopping so this, and it's crazy to think of now, but she would just, I would say, can I please stay in the car? So I would just stay in the car and listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. And so that, again, the kind of thing that we're describing, like Beast of Burden, so much of my childhood was spent, you know, having grown up in the Midwest, like just driving through Southwestern Michigan mm-hmm. with those songs, Queen, Elton John, yeah. Abba, all that 70s stuff. The, which uh, uh, Harry Chapin, uh, Carol King, James Taylor, Cat Stevens, like the the soundtrack, like the music in the air was just so melodic and and striking. Um, Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. um, the Spinners, you know, just and I I can just I was just sitting in that car, like either in the parking lot, not going shopping and yeah. just listening, or just watching the Michigan countryside go by. Yeah. Like it's very. Um, I think I just, the, the, the real answer is as a child, I just, the music was just all around me constantly. Right. I I mean, it was, and and I think you probably got that from all my podcasting and everything and my blogging, because that's, it was the same for me. Like, like I got, you know, a lot of classical music at home Mm -hmm. from both my parents and then my brother, but then I lived in uh, Southern Southern Virginia, and uh, but I, my mother was. I never even thought about it till it really started to hit me later. Um, 
it took, so I started writing songs mm. um, and thinking about, well, what do I really like? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I really, what, where did that melody, where could that possibly have come from? You know, and I started looking back and realized that the music that uh, I was really course, like responding to, speaking through that I needed to become one with when I wrote was uh, Appalachian, melodic, you know, all those melodies. And, you know, I mean, my mom would take me to, uh, my mother was from, is from Bulgaria Mm. and Israel. So, I mean, I sure as hell wasn't getting anything Southern from her. (laughs) And, and my dad had grown up there, but was from a sort of a more cosmopolitan. He didn't talk like this, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he, he was really, I mean, he, he does have an accent as do I at times, but it's not like a, like, you know, I, I also, I grew up with friends who were, you know, fifth and sixth generation mm-hmm. Bedford County, we, you know, from Bedford Mountain. We've been and, here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, th- those to me are real Southerners. Mm. My dad's oh, yeah. dad moved there from here uh, to have a business and raise a family. Right. So hold on one sec. Sorry, we had to take a quick station break for the for the doorbell. Speedy delivery. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. But I realized that all the the like summer kid face painting, you know, festivals in the park and downtown Roanoke every summer that my mom used to take me to that, you know, had the the people would come in from the mountains and. Mm. Uh, you could, they'd be there at their little booze making dulcimers mm-hmm. and um, clogging. And <clears throat> they were all like old redneck hippie, yeah, you know, people. Um, and I just remember, I will never, I'll never forget being a little girl and noticing one day this guy making dulcimers. And he was just so serious back there behind his table making them. And I just remember seeing one hanging from the back that he was displaying and just being completely mesmerized, but I didn't quite know what to do. And I couldn't, it wasn't a situation, you know, I just, I wasn't in a situation where I could just say, I, I want to play that. And then my mom would have bought one and yeah. I'd have taken it home and fucked around with it. it. It was, it, but it was everywhere, everywhere you heard country music on the radio, like, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, I remember in 1975, my brother and I making fun of that song "Southern Nights" by Glenn Campbell when Glenn Campbell sang it. And it's Alan Toussaint. What? It's Alan Toussaint. Well, but Glenn Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glenn Campbell's version Southern was the nights, Southern Nights. Southern Nights. Southern Nights. Southern Nights. Southern 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 blown away how tight that song is yeah how incredible those lyrics are what an amazing singer glenn campbell was you know and but that was all that you know and they play that song ad nauseum in you know a town little southern town i mean that stuff just got into my dna and if it wasn't on the radio local radio stations it was in the air all around me. And like you were saying, it's the same thing. It's like that 
was the most powerful music. I actually, that's the music, even if I'm making the most way out there music, <laughs> that's where it starts, you know, yeah. is in those, is in that. Your sense, it formed your sensibilities. Yeah, completely. Well, so, no, it's funny that you bring up Glenn Campbell because I, I, I don't know how far back, like, I don't, you know, I, I, people sometimes can, they'll have like, I don't know. 10 memories, 10 of their earliest memories. Yeah. And, you know, the memories become a little bit more foggy the further back you go. But I do remember, must have been 1975 in kindergarten for me, a boy brought in for show and tell a 45 of Rhinestone Cowboy. Oh, and wow. I, and I, yeah, right. I just, and it, it's the exact same experience that you describe in that A, the song was all around me. B, at some point, as I got older, I never would have sought that song out. But then C, as an adult, I listened to it, knowing who Glenn Campbell was, and I, was, and I listened to it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really good. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I mean, now, I mean, you listen to, uh, God, you know, I was at a, so when I decided that I wanted to start working, writing music and mm. all that. I, I I went to Nashville to take workshops that I found mm. I had found where with um really great songwriters um and one of those songwriters is a man named um my mind has just decided to play these tricks with me his right, right. name is he's the best man in the world Verlin Thompson <laughs> he was um Guy Clark's mm. like right hand man mm. for about, I mean, it was like they were married like mm -hmm. 20 years, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just played with him, toured with him, took care of him, you know, all that stuff. And, and they were just really tight, really old close friends. Um, anyway, I, I'll never forget like I, that song, Wichita Lineman. Yeah. That Glenn Campbell sings. Yes. That version was played on the radio when I was a kid yes. all the time. And again, it was that awful country stuff. Yes. You know, and probably since I hated it, yeah. it probably got in there even deeper yeah. than anything. So I really hadn't listened to that song since I was a kid or been in, in, or just, I probably heard, heard it over the years, but hadn't paid much attention to it. And then, uh, somebody in the Verlin was there doing the workshop and he was playing some songs to show an example. And one of them was Saginaw, Michigan, mm -hmm. actually. And that's mm -hmm. it's funny that you <laughs> evoked that. He's, today. <laughs> he's here for some reason tonight. But, um, um, and, uh, somebody asked to have to play Wichita lineman. And I didn't, I didn't realize that, you know, so many times there's songs that I know that I don't know what the titles are. Yeah. So, some, so everybody's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, whatever. And Verlin played it. Verlin's an incredible player. Mm -hmm. He just, it's, he, he will, you'll just be like, your wind will be blown, your hair will be blown back totally. Mm. It's unbelievable. And um, his covers, I mean, his own music is wonderful, but his covers, like he did an unbelievable, um, uh, it, Leon Russell did the the song, but what's his fate? Uh, what is it with me and memory today? Um, oh, are you thinking of Superstar? No. Carpenters? 
No, Leon Russell did yeah. the song. We've had we've talked oh. about this musician, but he covered it from Leon Russell covered it. Yeah, from from an amazing black like soul singer named you know. Oh. You know. I know. We talked about We talked about it the first time we met. Oh no. And then you talked to Chris about talking to Chris about it one of the first times that you'd met and his name I've been Yeah, no, that's Leon Russell wrote it. No, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't. Pretty sure. You're talking about Donny Hathaway? Yes. But Leon Russell wrote it. No, Donny Hathaway wrote it. Okay. But I'm going to look it up. It's no, Leon Russell. It's not. It is. Song for? Song for you. No. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I've got to know now. I'm going to, anyway. Okay, well, there you go. And I was sitting alone and singing this song for you. Yeah, Leon Russell wrote it. I don't think so. Donny Hathaway covered it. And he, he. It's a beautiful cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whoever covered it, who was ever cover it was, it was beautiful. Okay, well, we'll, we'll go back to that later. We can do a, a tally on that. Um, and so with our listeners, I wish we could get in like, how many of you think about They that? all, they're looking it up already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, uh, somebody said Wichita Lineman to Verlin, and I just wasn't even prepared. He played Wichita Lineman and it was it was all I could remember was a song I remembered from as a child yeah the Glenn Campbell version and it was like I was hearing it again for the first time yeah. and I and the way that Verlin sang it and it's so stripped back like to the essence of that song and he did a cover too of a song you know a song, song for, for you. you and it, later and I really was just I was I mean I was drowning yeah it was so beautiful the way he did it. But then Wichita Lineman, I, I was almost drowning because it was so, it yeah. was, I mean, that song is so deep. Yep. And it's just a few fucking lines. Yeah. It's just a few right lines. It's just, mm-hmm. that's everything it should be. And I forget why I brought all this up with the covering, but. Um, well, you were talking about Glenn Campbell and, and. How how there were songs that we took in when we were kids. Oh right, yeah. That didn't necessarily yeah. register at the time. We were just absorbing them. Right, right. But they've been there. All, they've been ne- nestled right. in us all this time. Right. They were working. Yeah. They were in there working and informing us. Um. Yeah. That that's like heavy emotional stuff. Like even getting to the next question or whatever. I'm like, Oof. well, you said something a, a little bit back, and I I wanted to acknowledge it. Um. You were talking about going to the fair or the festival or whatever, and where they were making the instruments mm-hmm. and the the people were coming down from the mountains and playing. And you reminded me that another really important aspect of our growing up, I don't know how this played out for you, but um, another thing that I was forced to do a lot when I was growing up was to go to church every Sunday. Oh, are you Catholic? No. Um but my in my ancestors were, but uh, we went to a congregational church. I was baptized as a Presbyterian. Oh wow! But went to congregational church. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because every Sunday we would be singing, right? And a little bit further down the line, 
Uh, I was forced, <laughs> forced, you're hearing that word a lot, aren't you? Forced to go to a Christian school in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, where singing, we had chapel every Friday. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because those hymns, two things. First of all, I think there's something about singing in a group of people. That's why your your story about the fair reminded me of back in the 70s and in the Midwest for sure, I'm assuming Virginia, on many occasions in public, you would stand up with people and you would just all sing. And those hymns in particular, the the construction of them, like the verse, the the melody of the verse, and then you would have the chorus, like that just really grabs you by the lapels, and then you would have a bridge. So even before I got into the Beatles, which I really got into the Beatles really hard, really deep, those hymns... like I, just today, I I just moved to Fort Greene and uh, I'm near a church. And at three o'clock, they the bells play a hymn. And today they oh. played, "A mighty fortress is our God." You know, all of those songs, Christmas carols, all that stuff. Any like that public singing? Yeah, I think, and that later translated into me learning how to sing harmony. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely um, infused me with hooks, mm. you know, like how to come up, like how to have this like swelling sort of hook in a song that I, I just think I, I inferred so much from that. And, you know, I've noticed in the pandemic years when that public singing was just taken away, right? like that was so powerful to know that. You could, I mean, I I go to sing-alongs all the time. I know you do too. So, I not, not, yeah, but, but I know what you're saying. You know what I mean. <laughs> Playing with the band. Right, 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 right. But that kind of like public singing and those kinds of songs, like today it would, you know, I'm a teacher, so I'm not teaching at a religious school. It would be weird to get up and sing any of those songs right. to kids, yeah. you know, because they're very specific. Yeah. But that was a big part of my musical foundation. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I know I, after the last, I mean, I always, after the last year, I never will ever again take being around people for granted Mm. ever. Mm. I didn't know how badly I needed them. Mm. Even in my silent, you know, um, in my silent, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, Removal, Mm -hmm. self-removal, isolation. Yes. (laughs) Even then, uh, I, I think when the mass went on, I really immediately started needing to see people's faces and how much energy alone, just seeing their, anybody's face, Mm -hmm. how much energy that gave me. And when Mm -hmm. that was taken away, how, how I was like, how am I going to do this? Yeah. You know, and seeing the expression on people's faces and um, stuff like that. And, like, I uh, I believe so much now in people being together. I mean, I did before, but I, I it was great because the last year really taught me the meaning of what, what being of a part of a collective was, mm-hmm. you know, as a human and in this physical form, but also spiritually. Like, it really clarified that for me. What does that mean? And 
And so much does, uh, you know, I, I know back to, I love that we're talking about being children mm. most of the time here. Um, because, um, you know, being from Southern Virginia, where I grew up in the middle of the Appalachians, uh, that we had, you know, we had music class and, uh, Mrs. Ellis taught most of the music classes and for most of my elementary school, she her the piano teacher who her piano accompaniment was her sister named Mrs. Fag. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being derived. Right, of course. <laughs> that really was. Her of course. Name. <laughs> and she had really big ears that curled over. But that's for another story. Right. But, um, and uh, Mrs. Ellis also taught us dances. Mm. But what they taught us were these. What, you know, we didn't know. And I'm sure this is what got into were these old Scottish, English, mm-hmm. and Irish. Um, Jigs and yeah, reels. And the Virginia reel. I could do the Virginia reel today. <laughs> um, well, and that stuff is all. Square dancing. That's uh, That would fascinate me, too, that that Appalachian music was all from the British Isles. Uh, right. A- exactly. Um, and there are a lot of Scottish people uh lived in you know moved, migrated to that area mm-hmm. of the country there and like you know north carolina is a almost feels like it it was a part of virginia in a way as far as mm-hmm. being a part of the region mm-hmm. and the things that the region yielded and the way that people were and mm-hmm. how it felt and you know um and that was a big area for the scots and and uh you know it's it's amazing how that stuff you know, really got in there. And then the, the fascinating part of it is that's where all the music, um, that, that fueled the sixties movement of music. Mm -hmm. And then it was then, um, you know, grasped and taken and transformed by, you know, bands like the Yardbirds Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then all of it, everybody was fucking making, something and putting it on electric guitar that was from derived from that folk appellation well, almost D- everyone dylan you know? um hard rain's gonna fall yeah he took the melodies and, right and made his own lyrics to it well and that's the other thing so i i don't remember how i found her <sighs> Music, originally, somebody keyed me in a few years back, Mm. uh, and we might have even talked about it, this Mm. woman from Kentucky named Jean Ritchie. Mm -hmm. Have we talked about that? Yeah. 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 And and so- I love her music. Right. Okay. She was, I think the way I heard about her was, um, it was like Electra's 50th anniversary or something like that, Uh or 60th, and she was an- she made something that was on Electra. Uh-huh. Yeah. And one of their first albums was one of her albums, I think. And so I heard her oh, wow. on a compilation and wow. I was just like, Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, it, she either grabs you that way or like, God, turn this off. <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, she totally blew my mind and I'm glad I didn't hear her until a few years ago when mm. I was really looking for what she had. Cause it, I might've been like, what is mm-hmm. this? It really, I was really into the, ballad you know mm-hmm. all those 
Especially those dark Scottish stories, mm-hmm. and stories about the girls, lovelorn girls, the lovers who go away and, blah, blah, you know, or they die or whatever. Um, and uh, uh, it's interesting, though, because when I first, I, I, it took me the longest time to put it together. But you listen to Joni Mitchell from the early 70s. Mm-hmm. She did the same thing Dylan did. Yeah. Oh, did she? I didn't know that. Well, listen to her and then listen to Gene Ritchie. Uh, it's the same thing. Okay. It's just Joni Mitchell. Right. Took it, it, you know, Joni Mitchell sounds like nobody else, but she does sound like Gene Ritchie sometimes. True. <laughs> yes. I don't see, I don't know anything about her. I know that they just, I think they just released an album of her early demos or something like Who, that. Who, Gene Ritchie? Joni or- Mitchell. Yeah, but I mean, listen I, to anything. I, I just know her as a fully formed person, you know, like her music. Whereas anything from the early, songs, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, whereas Dylan, I've heard like his sort of, yeah. No, you don't need copying to Woody right. Guthrie, and it's clear you know, his progression. She totally copied Gene Ritchie. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay, totally. Yeah, in in the way in her phrasing and the sounds, she liked that those Scottish mm-hmm. kind of balladeering, mm-hmm. fem, you know, female voices Mm -hmm. and i loved that i realized that i'm like damn (laughs) she really you know i love it when people steal and they don't get caught (laughs) pull that off well and her guitar playing is so badass like she makes it sound different but it's all you know she (laughs) totally took it at all those musicians took took that music and turned it into something else yes which is what you're supposed to be doing as an artist and you know you're not going to make anything new ever but you're supposed, <laughs> but you are unlike anything else that's ever been right. walking on the planet. There's nothing like you. And it's your job to, to contact that and to run all that influence of the things you like and understand through the machine of you. Right. And then come out, poop something out that's, <laughs> that's fully unique. Yes. You know, and, um, you know, I I have nothing but respect for people who yeah. steal. They're, they sh- yeah. you should steal. Yeah. And you know, I'm, you can hear a lot of stuff that I lift, including certain snippets. Of, I'll probably get taken to court on something, but including this confession, taken. You know, including snippet the way lyrics. You know, uh. I'll do a different turn on a lyric that I remember, or yeah. like I've I've quoted Dylan in a song. You know, before, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I would fully, but I, you know, like. Uh, I, I, those, all that music has propped me up to yeah. write those songs. And that's what they did, you know? So, but it's, my point being originally was it's interesting how that, that group of musicians, rock music, really did come out of folk music. Mm. And, and they put, um, electric electronics to it. You know, the electric guitars and amps and all the sound systems. And now, you know, then, then our generation, um, or rather your generation, because I'm about 29. (laughs) Right. Yes. I didn't tell you that. Yes. Um, (laughs) We're, we're happy to pass the torch down to you all. (laughs) We want to share with you everything we've learned. I love being condescended to. I really feel sad. I forgot what that felt like. Um, no, but um, I, um, I, no, but I, I think it's interesting now that our generation, we absorbed all that as children. Yes. And, um, 
you know, especially those of us who went into music, we just fully fucking absorbed it. And now we're grown up and, you know, not so old. We, we can't remember what our keys are for, car keys are for, but not <laughs> so young that we're just green, you know, and making those mistakes you make when you're a kid that totally distract you. You know, we, we can totally like see our way and, and, um, uh, now we're making music. It's interesting listening to Chris, Chris Brown and his, not the pit bull fighter, <laughs> uh, but oh God. the producer yes. in Canada. We yes. I always have to just, yes, you always have to yeah. qualify that. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, uh, thinking about Chris and listening to what, I mean, what worked for him. One of the things that worked so well for him and me initially was, uh, our connection, just not even like what we liked, but what we ended up hearing and making, uh, that we could always connect on was like our love of Neil Young, mm -hmm. um, and how that music kept coming up and out and how you can hear like him as a like chris is a producer you hear so much of the seven, uh, 70s folk music that he you can hear him he's not regurgitating it he you can hear mm. how he's metabolizing it absolutely and and still and always and it's like it, i mean me too and you too it's like we're still having this um you know this music is really ancient and those all that folk music from you know mm -hmm. britain mm -hmm. and who knows where before that you know some of those ballads might be from other places well the the arabs brought the guitar yeah and the zither spain. and the yeah right uh the africans mm -hmm. i think brought the zither mm -hmm. to ireland right. actually um i mean it it's it's so we don't know where these archetypal, you know, mm -hmm. uh, stories are from, and uh, it's just it's interesting watching how things get made and being like, and being like, oh, this you know this is just a, a part a step in mm -hmm. the way. It's 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 just so interesting to me to see that and see it not being regurgitated, but seeing it like, you know, watching Chris go through these motions and I know he's been there before, but there's something that's obsessing him that's capturing him and he keeps going through it. And I, I totally hear it. So I can totally, I love that he goes back. Like I love that. So it's, it's just, and that is a collective experience mm. too. And I only met Chris three years ago or four years ago. And yeah, you know, but there's such a, it's almost like with him sometimes I feel like, I've always known him my whole life, yeah. but uh, I just finally, the reality of it came to pass Yeah, and it was music that opened the door. I couldn't make, meet him until I was totally beholden to music. And that's a very collective experience. And when you take the idea of collective outside of, you know, the physical realm, it's, it doesn't have space or time. It's just an Absolutely. experience. You know what I mean? Well, and I think, you know, Grooving on what you're saying, I felt the same thing when I met him in that, what are we talking about right now? You and I have known each other. This is our, you know, third in-person conversation. Yeah, right. <laughs> over as many years. Right, right. And when I met Chris, 
there was this sort of uh, unspoken connection, like you're describing. Right. He himself, I mean, it's I don't I don't know enough about his childhood, but I do know that I think he went to like a a strict boys' school or something like that. And it's very clear to me. It was very clear to me from when I met him that he had done all the shedding. He had done all that work. Yeah. He's he is a there's a very funny um song on the album that I made with him. It's not a funny song, but it's it was a funny moment. It, the song is called Hanzi and um it's about a boy who plays the piano very well, a classical piano very well. And there was this moment where Chris is like, all right, I'm I'm going to do, I figured something out. And he, he puts together like this Bach right. like thing. Yeah. And then like, there's another song on the, the album that's a gospel tune. And he just like nails this gospel yeah. organ. Yeah, right. And then there's yeah. like another song where he, and he's just like, he is so, he, going back to what you just said about um, metamorphosizing things, you know, yeah. he has all that in him. And he's just able to, yeah. he can, and he doesn't do it in like a cheesy way. He does it in a soulful way. You have to pay him extra for cheese. Right. But he'll do it. <laughs> but he, but, but in his heart too, he loves to, he loves to mess with things. Mm -hmm. He's not going to do something straight. Right. Totally. Like he's not going to do like, all right, could you play honky tonk piano? No, he's going to throw yeah. in some dissonance to it. So that that's one of the things that I love about the album that I made with him is that he he has and I noticed this when I listened to your album like there's certain cadences of his right. that come through right but it it goes back to what you're saying you're, you're what you were just talking about which is we have all these the original forms like you if you've spent time with them I've spent you went to the Appalachian Fair I went to the church service. Right. He, Chris went to the, you know, chamber music boys thing. Boys choir. Boys choir. Yeah. We took all those deep, ancient threads, and they're in us. And like you just said, when we write, sometimes intentionally, but sometimes not, they just come out, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think, so back to your original question, I've just been steeped in music you know, my whole life and you have. Yeah. And so is Chris. And I think back to your thing about community, when you get those people all together in a room, that's when that creative creative thing happens. Yeah. You know, because there's we we speak the same sort of subliminal language in a lot right. of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a key phrase, speak the same subliminal language, because that's how I feel like I have more conversations like that with Chris than I ever you know, sometimes when I, like when I've had to be here or whatever, I feel like I'm having more conversations or just an, even when I'm there, like that's where we talk, really talk. Mm. And then we talk about, you know, Bettina, my dog mm -hmm. in real life, you know, <laughs> um, and the cats. <laughs> but, um, so I want to talk about, so how did you, so how did you get back around of your hatred of guitar <laughs> oh, and, okay. um, and then grow up and find yourself as a songwriter okay. and a singer and performer? Okay. So here's what happened. Um, forced to take guitar lessons. That was not an option. Had to do it. 
um, was not allowed to, I had to, you know, do all the classical stuff, which all these years later, I'm very grateful for that because A, I mean, I, I love classical guitar music. It's beautiful. But B, it did give me the the actual technique. Right. So I can do all the finger style stuff. And, right. And, and I had to do that. Right. But <laughs> what happened was when I was in fourth grade, uh, I was in my class at Grant U.S. Grant Elementary School in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And Jimmy Metzner, this kid who I was friends with, came in. And he brought his guitar, and he played Kenny Rogers' The Gambler. Oh, my God. And It's such a good song. <laughs> that was a lightning bolt. Wow. It was just like... Had you heard it before? Um, I don't think so. No. Wow. No. Were you like... Was he like, yeah, I wrote this. It's great, right? Jimmy Metzner. Uh, <laughs> um... I think I asked him, I, I don't, I, that's actually a really good question because what wound up happening was, I don't know if you remember this when back in those days when you bought cassette tapes, they came in those huge like plastic yeah. things. <gasps> and, I had forgotten about that. And I remember. Totally littering the planet. <laughs> we yeah. bought, I bought a copy at Musicland. It's not from gas. <laughs> it's from those fucking cassette tape plastic packages. <laughs> I bought Kenny Rogers, The Gambler, and I learned how to play that song. Like, I remember, you know, when you're a kid, at that point I was 10, I didn't have rhythm necessarily. Right. Yeah. It was probably pretty awkward, right? Yeah. But I learned how to play The Gambler in E. I think the original song is in D, uh -huh. but I learned it in E. Yeah. and my parents had people over all the time, business, yeah. friends, just constant company. And so eventually what happened was my father would be like, Rodrigo, would you please play the gambler for our guests? <laughs> and so I played the gambler like over and over and over oh. And that became my song. Wow. And um Can you still play it? Oh, you can play it will right you, now. Will you play it? Sure. Can you play it right now? Yes. Here. You should be tuned. Uh, here, we'll give you the nineteen sixty-three. Oh my goodness. And but don't forget that story. I won't. And do you need a pick or anything? I have the plate of picks here. No, I'm I'm good. Want me to go? This is uh, Rodrigo Alonso <laughs> playing his version of The Gambler. On a warm summer's evening On a train bound for nowhere Met up with a gambler We were both too tired to speak So we took turns to staring Out the window in the darkness Boredom overtook us He began to speak He said, son, I made a life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind me saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey 
give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Took out a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet And his face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy you Gotta learn to play it right You got to know when to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away Know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done Every gambler knows That the secret to surviving Is knowing what to throw away And knowing what to keep And every hand's a winner And every hand's a loser And the best that you could hope for Is to die in your sleep And when he finished speaking He turned back toward the window Crushed out his cigarette and faded off to sleep Somewhere in the darkness The gambler he broke even And in his final words I found An ace that I could keep You got to know when to hold them When to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money Sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. That was awesome! What an unexpected treat. This is a weird stand. Yeah, yeah. They'll stay. Yeah. You know how I feel about this. Yeah, I know. This stand is idiotic. I hate this thing. No, it looks like, but it's okay. Okay. Yeah, it sat on that thing for weeks. Um, thank you. That was fabulous. <laughs> Completely unusual, wonderful. Yeah, yes. I played that for hundreds of people, <laughs> starting at age ten. Uh, and that really, to be honest with you, was when again when you immerse yourself. In something like that, I had that in my reservoir so that three year, four years later, when I first decided I was going to write a song, I had some kind of structure to do it with. Yeah. Because I played that and other songs a lot. So what was your first song that you wrote? Like, what was the moment that you were like, okay, I got it. Okay. So... Um, when I was 13, uh, my parents sent me to this camp called Interlochen. Uh-huh. And again, I, I didn't want to go, but I was forced to go. And, um, uh, in that, at that camp, I was there for guitar and also for drama. And, uh, we did a, actually, sorry, this was in, 85. So this is when I was 15. Uh, we did um, what they call at Interlochen the 10 day wonder. So you 
you do a full three act play in 10 days. And we did uh, Agatha Christie's witness for the prosecution. And I, there were two other guys in the play and we were friends. We were, you know, camp friends. We, we had, we were, we had just gotten to know each other and we, we sort of felt a little simpatico and um, we were, we were attending these intensive rehearsals and we were also talking about music and we said, let's write a musical about witness for the prosecution. And so um, at Interlochen, um, there are these practice huts, like these, uh, you know, concrete floor, wood made out of wood, and there are pianos in them and stuff like that. And so we went into one of those and the three of us just started writing a song called witness for the prosecution. And we all contributed a different section to it. Um, and that was really the first writing thing that I was a part of. And then in that same spirit, you know, we, we, we wrote that song, then we wrote a second song. And then I went off into a practice out of my own. And I, the first song I ever wrote, um, I was back to, back to, uh, you know, sort of aping our influences I was really deep into the White Album at that time. So oh. I was thinking of Paul McCartney's I Will. And so I wrote a song that's sort of like that. Um, oh. And that was, I sat, I just sat with a, I had a tape recorder, you know, a, a boom box, you know, and I had a tape and I sat in this practice hut, had my guitar and I banged it out. Um, it was very much, um, I, I heard you say this in one of your previous podcasts, um, it was very much my first experience with finding something. Uh -huh. You know, like I started arpeggiating a D chord and I started singing a melody and then the chords just led to another, what the one chord led to another and then the chorus very much felt like, ooh, this sounds right. Like it sounds like it should be like this. And right. it was my experience of like finding it, you know. And how long how long did it take you to write that song? Um an hour. Yeah. I mean it's amazing. Not long. When there's it's just as if it's always been there. Right. And I mean, you know, I've I would not play this. I mean, I, I, I could play it for you, but I, it's not a good song. Like it's not, uh, it's not, it's not a good song, but it's, um, it, it accomplished something for me. It showed me that I could do it. And then once I did that, it, they just kept coming. Like, uh, and those, right. th those two friends, we had a, a long, rich relationship of us writing songs for each other mm. and getting together and recording them. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I mean, we can go into it if you want, but I mean, then there was the thought of, yes, like, we're going to make a rep. You know, like, we really yeah. thought that, this was going to go someplace and it was this kind of blind conviction of 
Yeah, I know, and I've heard you say this too. I mean, in our discussions, um, mm-hmm. you know, I de- I definitely then really very strongly felt like I had to do this. Like it was so compelling yeah. to me. I had to keep writing yeah. these songs, yeah. you know, and I I did that for a very long time. I mean, starting at age fifteen, and I it was very 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 solid, basically until I. It was very consistently solid until I, I met Chris Brown. I didn't stop because I met Chris Brown, but it was just... <laughs> oh, he'll do that to you. you no, know? <laughs> but, but it was at that point when I made that album with him, like that was the apex, mm-hmm. you know, we, it's a different conversation. But, but, but there were many, you know, for, for a very long time, you know, I was just like writing, writing, making songs, performing, making songs, performing, just because I felt... Very, you know, like I felt very strongly about it. I think that what happened to me, and, and again, you and I have talked about this, that it's that whole industry thing. Yeah. And that's what happens when business meets creativity or when when practicality yeah. meets inspiration, whatever. I, I realize sometimes you do need to take a break from it and refill the well. And I think that's right now, that's where I am in my life. Whereas I still have all those things that we're talking about. I still, I mean, all these these things that we're discussing it's very present for me. Right. My childhood is very present for me. My the way I feel about music, the way the reservoirs that I can tap into, yeah. they're very very present for me. I thank goodness I haven't lost that or I haven't lost the, the the thrill that I get doing stuff like that. I think what I what um uh, you know, again, it's sort of like the business of songwriting that that was a whole different, that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, okay. So, so then had you, so you, have you tell me what you made with Chris or ha, had, is that, was that your first album? Had you recorded oh. music before? Okay. So um, basically what happened was uh, for starting, Starting at the age of nine, uh, I started acting. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of community theater um, in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. They had a very robust uh, John Michael Kohler Arts Center, for those of you Sheboyganites <laughs> out there. It was a really good community theater. Yeah. And it was very painful for me to watch the movie um, Waiting for Guffman uh-huh. because it's spot on <laughs> like <laughs> right, that's exactly right. what it's like right and i i felt bad because it was again back to what we were saying before like being in musicals like being in the king and i being in guys and dolls and stuff like that being standing on stage and singing those songs with a pit orchestra that is just like oh my god that's such a powerful experience anyway so from the age of nine until um, the age of 20, I was in a lot of theater. And I had thought, oh, I want to be an actor. Yeah. And I went to NYU, Playwrights Horizons, for their theater program. But acting did not resonate with me as much as creating songs. Huh. I felt, again, I was sort of bitten by that bug of... And all my heroes, and I, I hear this in you when you talk about the people that you love. I yeah. mean, that first um, podcast that I listened to when you were talking about Towns Van Zant and Steve Earle 
and Guy Clark yeah. and I think it was the three of them. Um, yeah, that's them. Um, for me, it was John Lennon uh, for sure. I yeah. mean, it was just, I, I, that, I, I steeped myself so much in that. And, and so when I was 18 or 19, I made the decision to leave NYU and I said, I'm going to focus my energy on songwriting because I thought that I had something that I could do. Yeah. So I left NYU, went to Connecticut College, met a lot of really cool people, uh, and kept working on my songwriting. And at that point, what that meant was, back in 1990, <laughs> what working on your songwriting meant was <laughs> I had a tape recorder. Right. And I would just fill these tapes with ideas and I'd put them down for a little while. And then if, and then I would listen to it in a couple of days. And if it still kind of gave me chills, I knew that was a song to pursue. Yeah. And when I was at, okay. So another thing that happened then was the Connecticut college had this incredible music library. Yeah. And I listened to a lot of different music. Yeah. I was just voracious for listening. They had a lot of like folkways records back to Gene Ritchie. Yeah. Um, I was listening to the blues. I was listening to a lot of gospel. And I love, my mom's from New Orleans. Um, so another kind of music that I grew up with was Dixieland music. Right. Yeah. So while I was at Con, I did write, I told you that the first song I ever wrote was when I was 15 and I was trying to ape, sort of ape Paul McCartney's I Will. The first song that I wrote that I can still bear to listen to and that I'm still proud of and that I actually think is a really good song, I wrote then during that period, which was would be like I was uh, 22. And, what, and that song is on the album I made with Chris. So then I moved to, I graduated from Khan. I moved to New York uh, to pursue songwriting. Um, inadvertently got a job at St. Anne's School in Brooklyn Heights. Uh, didn't plan on being a teacher, but St. Anne's is a very pro- progressive school. Uh, and I got a job as a teacher. While that was happening, I was playing gigs. Uh, my first ever gig was at um, Cornelia Street Cafe. Huh. Then I played at CB's Gallery, then Shanae, uh, Luna Lounge, um, Brownies, um, Galapagos in Williamsburg. I mean, I was just playing. I was yeah. making demos. Um, I had a couple of A&R guys who were interested in me and all of the other people around us were, they were all doing that too. Yeah. Um, everybody was sort of pursuing that yeah. dream. Um, there was one very humorous moment when um, I, I was playing at the old living room, which was on um, Stanton and Allen. Uh-huh. And uh, I played, immediately after Regina Spector <laughs> and she's amazing. Yeah. And so she finished playing, you know, and everybody was like, Regina, I just, you know, and I'm like, hi, um, 
I just want hello everybody. Thank you. Nobody's paying attention. Um so oh and you asked about recording. So um throughout these times I would make a demo. So I would I would find out uh, I would find somebody who had a studio and you know hired musicians and so I made about I would say three major demos of like having a full band and it's being mastered. I would make smaller demos on a four track, which those obviously didn't sound professional. They sounded very clunky to bring it up to Chris Brown. The funny, I I told you the story the other night about how I met him. Um, We were moving somebody who we were helping to move somebody's furniture. Yeah. And, but I'll never forget, you know, Chris is in his car, this big truck, you know, we're driving through Manhattan. He's yeah. like, and I and I said, oh, you know, and I, I had seen him play at the living room. I think he was playing keyboards for Rachel Loshak or something like that. He was so good. He was amazing. Yeah. And I said, yes, well, I had been thinking of making another demo. And Chris is like, well, Rod, what? Why, why just make a demo? Why not just go ahead and make an album? Right. Just, just make an. You got to put that out in the universe, man. Right. Just make you. You just Rod. You gotta send me your stuff, and we'll make an album. You know that had never even occurred to me. Like I was always like looking for that. I will play. I will hand you these songs, and you will recognize that I have potential as a songwriter, and you will bring me into your organization. Whereas Chris was like, no. You're just going to make this statement. We're going to make an album and just go for it. Yeah. You know, so that's why that happened. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I kept waiting for people to find me, but, you know, he was like, no, you put it out there. I know. Yeah. I mean, he's great that way. Like, he was like, what better way? What did he tell me? What better, what better, what better way to deal with? with what you're going through than by making an album, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I mean, it was right. That was, that was, there were a few things that went into making, I mean, the last few years could have gone one way or the other mm-hmm. very strongly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, that was one of the most powerful pieces of it. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that changed the entire, I mean, the world around me, you know, short of literally changing from one minute. It was like it was changing from one minute to the next from Mm -hmm. the moment I initiated that process and, and did it. Uh, I mean, as the single most, I'll never forget that as one of the most important creative experiences of my life. For sure. And in other ways, but healing and and everything, Mm -hmm. it was just like, I, I went in as one person and came out of that as a completely different, mm-hmm. I mean, still me. Yeah. Um, without the psychosis. No, as a, but I came out as a complete, <laughs> I came out as a completely different human being. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's what he does. That's what Chris is tapped into is that vein of, of healing energy that what music can do. It. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. My goddamn timer. I was trying so hard not to make noise. <laughs> And it did. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, okay, so then, so when is an album coming? 
Well, here's where we stand, folks. Um, so I made an album with Chris Brown, yeah. which I'm very proud of. It's we made it in 2006, so yeah, it's it's time. Well, so so we did that, and then we started another one. I made the beds right. for the next one. Um, hello. That's Cat Willie. Cat Willie. Cat Willie. Cat Willie. Her, that's my cat named Willie. Yes. Yeah. And if you really want to get her going, call her Willie Minter. Willie Minter? I don't know what that means, but she really likes that. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, so I've recorded an album I recorded the 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 scratch tracks for the whole album. Um and one thing that I would like what I was thinking about this as I was coming over here is that nobody has heard these songs except for Chris and me. So I would like to play them for you Please. at some point. I would love to hear them. Um, but you could even play one here tonight. <laughs> I certainly could. I will. Um, I'll play one that a lot of people have heard this song, so I'm, I'm pretty good with this song. But there are some songs on that album that nobody's heard. Right. Like, And the thing is, with Chris, he's so... Um, responsive you know he he really listens to what you're playing for him and um and i love that it's it's almost i've i'm spoiled in yeah, that regard totally. you know it's it's a luxury to have somebody give you that much yeah. attention as far as listening to a piece of music but um yeah so so what what is interesting to me uh is what is the best way to bring these songs to life? You know, because one of the things that I feel, one of my failings, I think, is that, and this goes back to what we were saying before, I I listen so much to the people that I that I love. Uh, case in point, like Smokey Robinson, one of my big heroes. I I just spent a lot of time listening to the Smokey Robinson anthology, the Motown Smokey Robinson yeah. anthology, listening to the background vocals, listening to the production value, all that sort of stuff. So when I made my demo of a song that I was sort of quoting Smokey, like as, as far as the style is concerned, yeah. I made a literal, what I thought, I, I think it was probably too literal a uh, reproduction of a Motown song. What I, the, the next, you asked about like, what's the next album coming out? So it's like, what I need, what I feel like I need to figure out is like, who's the Brian Eno or, or what, how does Brian Eno listen to things or Daniel Lanois? That's the other person uh, we were uh, talking about the other day, or, you know, name any other producer, you know, I think a producer is somebody who can hear something and know where to take it, you know? I think it's interesting with Chris because Chris is such a giving person. He's not going to impose. He's not going to listen to your song and be like, all right, 
We're going to do this. And then I'm going to record like this thing here and then the background. You mean you haven't had that happen with him N- yet? No, it has not happened. Oh, it's, is it coming? It's coming oh, down it's the coming, road. It's yeah, coming. it's going to happen. He you in. And right, 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 right. No, he's very organic. Yeah. And, and, and he, it's very um, collaborative. And, and I love that. I'm not saying that that's not good. But what fascinates me, so Teddy Kumpel is another person that Chris works with all the time, and you've met him? Yeah, yeah. You know, has he played on your stuff? No, no. I just met him when he was passing through uh, Wolf Island maybe a couple of years ago. So he he told me something. I took a couple of guitar lessons with him, and I've worked with him uh, a little bit. And he said something fascinating to me, which was, and this this was actually mind blowing for me. It's yeah. it sounds so simple, but it, it really met it it affected me in that he said, look, you can take a song that you wrote. It could be performed a hundred different ways. You know, I know it's obvious. Yeah. You know, you, you can think of it and a jazz standard and that you can perform a jazz yeah. standard so many different ways. My problem is like I write the song and that's how I play it. Like I can't get up and like improvise it and do free form and like yeah. stretch it and the, the way that Chris can. Like Chris can perform his songs. He's he's that skilled a, a musician as is Teddy, um, as a, as is Tony Cher. All those people in that group, they can like do it so many different ways and find you know. Whereas my musicianship is limited, and I write the song and I hear it like the way that I wrote it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so when I make the album with Chris, if I make the beds and you know, I made the recorded the beds, like I don't always trust my own judgment as far as making something like, I know that there are, are not, tricks is the wrong word, but there are moods or skills or techniques of, you know, even you're thinking about somebody like Neil Young, you know, um, you know, he made, um, <sighs> Harvest, you know, Jack Nietzsche produced it and arranged, um, Jack Nietzsche worked with Phil Spector. He orchestrated a lot of those songs mm-hmm. and, you know, you listen to it and you're just like, whoa, like this creates this incredible picture in your mind how did he know how to do that you know like there's so many um ways of approaching a song and and creating a world creating a picture in your mind with a song i know my job is to make the song Mm -hmm. that's the best i that's what i'm good at i think um where i get uh, tripped up is okay how do we make this the best it can be? Like, because I don't think I have the skill to know how to do that for myself. Yeah. I think I sometimes, re- I, I think I feel more comfortable relying on more seasoned people to know where to take it. Right. Well, and you know, uh, it won't. It may not always stay that way for you. Sure. Like you may, you know, get into, uh, you know, it, it, that can change for you. You mm-hmm. may. You may, like, you may start to demand that of the music and of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you can't really, music is like water in your hands. You really can't demand anything of it. But you can 
request, you know, I need more, I need more involvement. Like, yeah, because the writing, I feel a lot of my, and even more so than ever now, I, they, that a lot of these songs just come to me, like what we've been talking about. Yeah. And, um, I'm just a channel and it did strike me when I started working with Chris, watching him, he, you know, producers, good producers are like, they're all like this, uh, a good, good one or great ones. Um, they're all like whisperers yes, and they can hear for sure. all this other shit. And it's not just, it's not just because they have all the experience that they've had. Um, but that does help point mm -hmm. them in the direction um, but they just have an ear for yeah. something. They hear something past the past. You yes. Know? Um, and, um, uh, and I really noticed that how Chris did that with me and, you know, it helps that he and I are on similar wavelengths as to what we, the music we love mm -hmm. and we come from, yep. you know, and we all, you and me and him all share that. All the other musicians that he works with share yeah. that. We all share that in common, yeah. you know. And, um, uh, you know, but it's funny, like, you can, like, there's, there's for me recently, there's, there this year there's come a point where I've been like, I, I'm, I need more. Mm. And um, not that what I'm getting isn't enough. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just need 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 the the foundation I built for myself to become for music making to become wider. I need more choices, mm -hmm. and and instead, I think I haven't been right on the mic here. Oh no, I'm not. Okay, sorry, everyone. Now you can hear me really well. <laughs> um, but uh, I. Um, uh, but I, I've started to ask, and and it does. If you do, if you're putting the energy in, it does yield. I mean, it's or you know, they're just some songwriters. Like I was just telling someone recently, I don't, and I this is full confessional, but I don't like to talk about this stuff until I'm ready. But <laughs> I don't know that I can sit in my studio and write songs with my guitar or whatever instrument and make demos and, and record music and tour. I go, all, those are all the pieces of a traditional, mm -hmm. you know, typically of a musician, singer, songwriter, performer mm -hmm. like myself. There's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. a great life. Believe yeah. me. Uh, it would be so much more simple if that's all I wanted, but it's like, I, I, there's, there's, I know that there's so many options out there that I need. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's amazing once you come to those, if you come to those places, it will give you ears oh, yeah. to hear, you know? Um, but I, I definitely know what you're talking about because I remember thinking, God, how does he, and I know it's, it, how does he hear all that? And he hears it cause he's done it for, you know, a bazillion times. Yeah. Um, he wants to hear it. Yeah. That's what gives, but he also has a real, and, and wanting it, it plugs right into his affinity and his capacity for that mm -hmm. and ability to do that. And then working with the software, the mm -hmm. production stuff forever. To yeah, hear, yeah. It's just another tool, you know, another right. instrument at his disposal. So I don't know. That's all in really interesting. Again, it's back to, you know, what, 
back to the universe. Like, if you, <laughs> like what the if you, the, the what did he say that he told you? You have to put that oh, on yeah. the universe. Yes, yes. But that is it. Music is so fluid that way that it really, it's amazing how it just kind of, you know, orbits around you. It's just waiting to deliver to whoever is there and and it has a capacity for it and is putting the time in. I have really noticed that. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and I, being a teacher, I'm very lucky uh, because – you know, you you were telling the story about um, uh, when you were little and you were in music class. Uh, mm-hmm. You had the music teacher teaching you the the Scottish music. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was Miss Halverson, mm-hmm. and she had one of those overhead projectors. You know, you put the yeah thing on yeah, it, right. and it was brought. The lights were all off, and she was playing the piano. And we would sing things like Blowing in the Wind and Octopus's Garden. And mm-hmm. so now I've been a teacher for 28 years. Every kid who's in my class learns Blue Moon of Kentucky and Proud Mary and the House of the Rising Sun. And I play all those songs on guitar for them and we have sing-alongs. Mm-hmm. Um, music opens things up in people. And not, I mean, and again, back to everything we were saying about the pandemic and being separated from people and and our childhoods. If you don't have that in your life, like it's really important to get that. Mm -hmm. And not everybody, you know, not everybody cares about it, but the people that do, it's important that they have that portal to go through. And you had it and Mm -hmm. I had it Mm -hmm. and Chris had it. And it's something, you know, it's so it's almost so inexplicable. It's so abstract. It doesn't even make sense what music is. Yeah. You know, why Why does it make you weep? Why does it make you... I mean, one of my favorite songs of all time is Hey Jude, and I still get chills every time in the back of my neck. The last verse when John starts singing harmony with Paul, Yeah, it's the only time that's... They don't do harmony on that except for the very last right. verse. Yeah. And that, when they say, take a sad song and make it better, when they're doing it in the yeah. harmonies, yeah. I always get chills. Yeah. Always. Yeah. It's, I'm very, very lucky, you know, yeah. to, to have, like you just said, to have that hearth in my soul. Right. Of music. And um, I think... I I come close to it at times and then I get some distance from it just because you don't want to get too too wrapped up in it as far as wanting to succeed. Um I I don't I don't want to lose touch with I I want to reconnect with that little kid I described to you writing a song for the first time in the at Interlock and you know when I was sitting in that practice room and just finding it mm-hmm. that was such a great feeling, you know, and I didn't I did it because it it was great to do like i felt it was a good feeling you know to do that and um so uh, you know i i definitely want to have more experiences and and chris is such a great that that world that they all have let yeah him and kate and and teddy and tony and all uh jason mercer yeah amazing guy yeah um all of those, all of those guys, um, yeah. and and gals. 
Um, it's a, it's a, it's a really wonderful, though it's, it's a very healthy, very real connection with music and that being around him, like you said earlier, it's very healing. Right. Um, so when, when it's like that, it's great. I love it. I'm, I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I, that we took that truck ride and he, you know, we, we had that conversation. (laughs) It was so random. Yeah, right. It was totally random. <laughs> and that but that's how it works, right? It's never I mean, I remember going to see him <laughs> hang on, let me look at the talk. I remember going to see him the first time on Sackett Street mm-hmm. when we met first and I was just like it was it was like nine thirty in the morning and <laughs> I can hardly, you know I'm just like, What what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you know, and and then and I was like, what have I got to lose, you know? And then when I went up to to work with him the first time, record for, stay with him in his little house, mm-hmm. <laughs> that for over a week. And I did not have any idea who he was. Or, right. Like, I did not know. I didn't barely know him. Right. I didn't know him. <laughs> and I, I mean, I was, I was in a place in my life where I was really needed privacy. Yes. A lot, yes. Know? So, and, but I found him really easy to be around. And, um, um, I just remember, like, I, there's Willie. Willie's here. The cat, uh, Willie. Cat, Willie. Cat, Willie. Yeah. Um, hi, Willie. What was it? Willie Mitya? Willie Minter. Willie Minter. She gets very, Willie Minter. Like, look at her tail. She goes, Willie Minter. <laughs> she gets really Willie Minter. <laughs> Willie Minter, Willie Minter, Willie Minter. But I remember it just, uh, and yet that whole, I felt so awkward, but I felt awkward in a really memorable, safe, natural way. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I I like, and it just felt, it it felt really normal. Like any of those important meetings you have in life always feel like you're like, it might be like, what is going on? And then, but it's just, it's like they never weren't there. Yes, you know? absolutely. That's totally how it, it feels. Okay, Willie, there she comes. Yes, <laughs> she's rubbing her face on the mic. <laughs> um, okay, will you sing us a song? Sure. Here, Rod? Oops. Uh, uh, the Click. Cat. <laughs> yeah, here's the cat. Let's see. She's still running. All right. She's um, not allowed back here. All right, I didn't practice. Let's see. Oh, if... don't practice. Not at my. I I didn't practice either. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. All right. So this is a song that uh, I would put on uh, the next album. Okay. <laughs> go for this it. This is not on the album that I, the first album I made with Chris. And can we hear that album anywhere? Or well, we used to be able to hear it. Um, have you have you met uh, Kenny? Um, he had a company where the album was posted, and what I sometime later I would like to talk with you about how one gets one album out there. Okay, because I need to. We can. I, talk. I do need to make it available. Yeah. There. Oh my god. Let's there are it. a couple tracks that are on. Uh, what's it called? It's orange. Um, not Bandcamp, but the other one. My Lassie hard drive? Uh, yeah. 
You said it's orange. <laughs> the site's orange. Uh, I can't think of what it's CD called. CD Baby. No. Spotify. No. Orange. Um, Something space. Sound space. Sound space. Yes. Yes. This is tuned low, no? Uh, well, I was going to ask you, does that sound like it's in tune? No, that's cool. No, that's cool. Yeah. It's cool. I've got it. I got it. When you entered this world, you had no idea of the pain you would bring, of the way that I'd feel, oh little brother, oh little brother, our blood is the same. Races around, but you want what I have, so I must keep you down, oh little brother, oh little brother. We didn't choose to know one another, but I was told that I had to be nice, always trying to control one another. I didn't know I was in it for life it's called little brother that's correct <laughs> that was really really good Thank Rod. You. i don't even really think i've heard you play and sing that's how it sounds <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me a little too of the of the kinks mm, thank little, you a little bit thank you you know like the early kinks but all the kinks all of it. yeah i love the kinks that phrasing and mm. that real sort of raw delivery mm. it's really even the the sort of timber of your voice sometimes mm. which is it's i'm saying is a total compliment thank you and wow I, yeah it's great <laughs> <laughs> and i don't really i love the kinks i don't yeah. i don't listen i never was uh, i maybe had one obsessive listening period yeah. with them and then I just never really return. I know some people are like yeah, insane I've, about that. I spent a lot of time with them. Oh, well, you can hear it. <laughs> nice. Know, good. Yeah, in the best Well, way. that was me trying to sound like uh, Sam Cooke. <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd, take, I'd take the singer, I'd take Ray Davies over Sam Cooke's recorded <laughs> stuff any day. I love Sam Cooke. Yeah, yeah. But I sometimes feel he's a little, he's just trying. To the strings. 
the strings. Yes, I yeah. understand. <laughs> it was the strings and the strings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All the strings attached. Um, I, unless there's something you are dying to say, I'm going to wrap it up. I think we've, I, I love this conversation. This has been it a, went, I didn't know what swear. we were going to talk about. I love, <laughs> there was, everything I love about interviewing happened here today. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, and I really really appreciate your time and I I I love I love this this was fantastic and when you release music um, next I I want to do this again okay after you know and as on or on the occasion of or mm-hmm. you know and do some playing and Great. talking and blah 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 I would love that thank thank you Rodrigo Alonso thank when, you and is there anywhere people can go. Keep track of you. You can find you on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Instagram. Uh, you're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. Okay. So, and your what's your handle? On Instagram. Or, or I think it's just my name. I think I don't know what it uh, is on Instagram. Okay. It's probably Rodrigo. It's I think it's Rodrigo Alonso. All right. Maybe there's a number after it. Okay. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if they're friends with you, they yeah, can find they me. Can find you. <laughs> I only know one of you, but um, definitely keep track of Rod and um, and what he he will be coming up with in the coming months and no. soon years. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Uh, thank you for playing. <laughs> Bye. Bye. (laughs) We got to go to dinner now. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to this episode of Graveyard Sessions with singer-songwriter Rod Alonzo. You can definitely go find him on Instagram, as he said. Um, Let me look here. I, uh, he is, he is my afterthought. I don't even think about, I see his posts all the time. He has a really nice, yeah, Rodrigo Alonso, that's R-O-D-R-I-G-O-A-L-O-N-Z-O, and that's the same for Instagram as it is for Facebook. So please uh, keep keep tabs on him if you're interested. Uh, he will be uh, having recordings to come that you will definitely want to be hearing. My next guest, which, uh, who I will post, uh, uh, next Thursday is uh, going to be Clem Chesterfield. He is a musician, a Wolf Island recording artist, uh, and a total 1000% character and a wonderful Canadian uh, performing singer songwriter. Definitely worth a listen. Um, and uh, yeah, that's coming. Uh, Thanks again, and I hope you have a a beautiful, cool-down week uh, wherever you are, even if that means it's heating up. Bye-bye. Again, I followed Eddie's car.